Yo, what's up, everybody? It's another episode of Real Sankar Hours. Uh, Real Sankar Hours, your favorite black Marxist, pan-African, uh, radical uh, podcast, political podcast. Today is July 20, Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. Um, and this is episode 99. Um, so we've, yeah. been, we've been going at this for a while. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I didn't think that I wouldn't say I didn't think that we were going to hit 100 episodes, but I feel like it came up sooner than I thought. I don't yeah, know. It, it, yeah, same here. It really came up sooner than I thought. Maybe just, I don't know, maybe the pandemic. I, I don't know. Um, but so, yeah, today's July 28th, this episode 99. Um, we're, we have a lot to talk about. I mean, Cuba, Haiti, and... Um, also the uh pandemic of course on this new fucking delta variant um so anyway yeah we'll start with introductions um i am adam hudson follow me at adam hudson five on twitter or you don't have to uh i'm peter i'm gun i i don't whatever at m gun peter if you haven't followed me by now for yeah non-tweets um and oh just before i forget housekeeping um, this is a free episode to support um, independent black media. Uh, you can become a patron for $5 a month. Patreon.com slash Real Sankara Hours. Again, Patreon.com slash Real Sankara Hours. $5 a month gets you bonus episodes. Anywhere between $1 to $4 a month um, doesn't get you bonus episodes, but we appreciate you know your, your monthly uh, contribution. And if you want to make like a one-time donation, uh, you can donate to our paypal paypal.me slash real hours so again paypal.me slash real hours so those are ways you can uh keep supporting this podcast and uh yeah support independent black media so sorry go ahead peter um i don't even know i mean yeah there's it's been a lot it's it's been a little while since we've checked in on you know all the happenings around the world and yeah, I mean, honestly, at this point, we kind of missed the whole uh, fake Cuba color revolution news cycle, but we're still going to talk about it. But also, I believe on the last one, we we had mentioned Haiti because the, you know, existing president had just been assassinated. And, mm-hmm. you know, the situation is definitely still developing. Um, it seems to uh, there there was a big question as to, like, who the acting president was because there were basically two prime ministers. Claude Joseph was the existing prime minister who, you know, had like three days left on his term uh, when uh, Jovenel Moise, the president, was assassinated. And then there was Ariel Henry, who had been named to, you know, be the next prime minister, but he hadn't sworn in. But it appears that Claude Joseph is going to step aside and Ariel Henry... Uh, will be basically the acting president until, you know, they're supposed, you know, elections are scheduled to go on in uh, I, so, sometime later this year, sometime in the fall. Uh, it, it's been a bit of a, you know, it obviously is a chaotic situation, but, you know, the way U.S. media has been talking about it has been very interesting. 
Um, you know, that like it's Haiti is a bit of a problem for the woke imperialist crowd because, you know, mm-hmm. they're against uh, systemic racism and all those things. And, you know, the history of what, you know, Western imperialism has done to Haiti is pretty undeniable. It's it's one of those yeah. instances that it is just pretty stark. Uh, and, you know, they know that, but they also have interest to defend. And so there is this weird idea of like intervention fatigue, like, oh, well, you know, we just don't even feel like bothering because we're just going to mess everything up anyway. It's like, you know, yeah, the foreign policy community is coming to the consensus that Haiti is just going to have to solve its own problems. Like, what? No shit. Took you this long to realize that? (laughs) Um, But, you know, there also is like, but there is also like a pro-intervention crowd. Uh, who believe that, you know, I like that. I mean, Haiti is always seen as just this permanently dysfunctional country. If you maybe imagine it on a spectrum uh, where I guess maybe a country like Denmark or Sweden is held up as the, you know, epitome of functioning liberal democracy, uh, you know, and we'll just I mean, you know, that color gradient is not an accident. Um, Haiti is seen on the other end and. You know, there's a bunch of incentives, you know, on all levels to basically sort of make it quote unquote dysfunctional. But I mean, it functions. I Sometimes it's hard to say what that means in the sense that, like, you know, the state functions as to what, you know, the international capitalist system, the role it has placed for it. So uh, whether or not that, you know, to say to call it dysfunctional, I mean, yeah, there's no. There isn't a whole lot of iterations uh, where, you know, Haiti gets to be prosperous. Um, And that is kind of if you read between the lines, like it does seem and Biden has expressed like his lack of desire to do an intervention right now. Um, Basically, they're hoping that Ariel Henry uh, can, you know, restore order and uh, quote unquote, um, you know, and if the elections go off pretty well. But, I mean, hidden between that stuff is basically, like, you know, the left popular movements, which do exist. I mean, Haiti is a very politically literate country. They know, like, what's been done to them. Like, they're very aware of it. But, you know, the ability to do anything about it is a different question. If those forces look like they may may come to power, then the intervention conversations are going to change. And, you know then there will just be outbreaks of chaotic violence that, you know, necessitate a crisis. Uh, and then, you know, someone will have to step in um, because, I mean, you know, it is in a bad situation. I, you know, they haven't really even ministered any uh, COVID-19 vaccines um, because, yeah, I mean, specific, you know, specifically the past couple of years, you know, leading up to, Moise's assassination it has been sort of a very chaotic state and you know that can't persist but at the same time I think you know I've seen sort of tellings that there may be like a political aperture in Haiti such that like people may believe that this is the time to do something significant Um, and you know if if it goes on as business as usual and the typical forces uh, can, you know, maintain order and that, then the U.S. will just be like, all right, fine, do your thing. But, you know, if it looks like 
something else is going to happen. I believe Cuba released Aristide, and and you know he's back on the island. So, you know, a lot of interesting things happening. Uh, obviously, you know, we will stay up on it. But, uh, you know, they Cuba and Haiti. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of, uh, you know, connections to be made. But, you know, it is like. It is a necessary, I don't know, this whole system of, like, global anti-blackness. I mean, Haiti is just, like, the perfect emblematic representation of how these systems work. Yeah, and um, an important detail was um, just revealed about the um, assassins. Uh, I I think it was, like, around two dozen assassins, I believe. Um, it, I think, oh, t- yeah, like 25 alleged, um, in 25 alleged individuals who, uh, were involved in the, uh, assassination of Jovenel Moise. So apparently more than a quarter of them, uh, p- particularly like the ex-Columbian soldiers, cause many of them were Colombian, um, received U.S. military training. So I'm going to read like a couple, uh, Nice. Uh, quotes from this uh, Intercept article. The headline is At least seven Colombians in Haiti assassination received U.S. training. So it, it says, um, This is by reporter uh, Ryan Devereaux. He's a very good reporter. Um, More than a quarter of the ex Colombian soldiers currently suspected in the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moise received U.S. military training. The Intercept concerned confirmed friday with some of the alleged attackers participating in programs as recently as 2015 that ranged from vehicle maintenance and professional development to counterterrorism and drug war operations courses were held in both colombia and the united states the pentagon and the state department are currently reviewing internal records to to determine precisely how many of, of the alleged assassins were trained by the u.s to date, state and DOD have identified seven individuals among a possible 25 alleged to have been involved by Haitian authorities that previously participated in past U.S. military training and education programs while previously serving in the Colombian military, a U.S. government confer- official confirmed in an email to The Intercept. Individuals had been approved for a variety of training activities held both in Colombia and the United States between 2001 and 2015. On Thursday... The Pentagon confirmed to the Washington Post that a small number of the Colombian mercenaries suspected in the July 7th assassination had received U.S. training, though the department did not say how many, nor when, nor what type of training was provided. According to the official who spoke to The Intercept, examples of the types of training received were various types of military leadership and professional development training, emergency medical training, helicopter maintenance, in attendance and seminar and attendance at s- seminars on counter narcotics and counter terrorism um this this is also this this next part is is pretty important from two from 2000 when the united states first launched the massive multi-billion dollar drug war aid, aid program known as plan columbia to 2008 the u.s administered more than 107,640 trainings of colombian security personnel noted adam isaacson director of the defense oversight program at the washington office on latin america a figure that far surpasses any other military collaboration the u.s maintains in the region nothing comes close to 107,000 over the last 20 years isaacson told the intercept nothing so 
Um, so for the, for so uh, for people who don't know about Plan Columbia, that was basically that was by Bill Clinton signed along by Bill Clinton in two thousand. So like the end of his presidency, it was like a massive foreign aid, military aid um, to Colombia. Basically, the whole goal was to combat uh, drug cartels and um, you know leftist insurgents, particularly FARC uh, in in Colombia, and so. Um, and by the way, this is, in 2017, there is a peace agreement signed with FARC. Um, so yeah, basically, like the the particularly the at least seven of the Colombian mercenaries who were involved in the assassination received U.S. training. Like that is that's confirmed, um, and it's all in the context of particularly the U.S. drug war in Latin America. That also, I mean, yeah, it really does. Um, you know, it's not just Colombia, but also intersects with Cuba because, um, and this is also going to tie into like what we're, you know, talking about with Cuba as well. Um, like for those of you who don't know, like I, uh, I went to Guantanamo. I spent two weeks there reporting there for, uh, truth out, um, the, the independent media site truth out, truth out. So I was reporting on the U S military commissions at Guantanamo Bay. Um, so basically the U S base, U.S. Naval Station at Guantanamo Bay, which is where the, you know, the the torture chamber is still located, by the way. Um, and there's still 39 men who are held there, uh, one of whom was just released recently to Morocco um, by first one on, under Joe Biden. But um, anyway, the U.S. base at Guantanamo Bay, in addition to, you know, being holding a torture chamber, um one of the reasons why it also exists is it's also a point of operations for counter narcotics uh, operations in the Caribbean and Latin America. So, in addition to serve for you know um, holding a torture chamber, uh, the U.S. base at Guantanamo uh, is also like a point of operations for the U.S. drug war in Latin America. So, I wanted to mention that. Yeah. So, seven of the alleged assassins. The um, who are from Colombia, uh, they were trained by the U.S. As in the context of uh, Plan Colombia, that was uh, signed by Bill Clinton in the year two thousand, so twenty one years ago. Uh, I thought that was a really very important uh, detail to mention. Yeah, I mean that. Who else is going to train them? You know, and right. uh, I mean, yeah, all the all the sort of extreme militarized drug war stuff in the hemisphere. I mean, a lot of that was just coming up with a new reason to project power, uh, you know, in the Monroe, you know, to reimagine the Monroe doctrine after the cold war. Exactly. uh, When, you know, fighting communism wasn't like a justifiable thing because I, yeah, I mean, just the idea that like, Oh yeah, no, we're we're trying we're trying to like get rid of all the cocaine. I'm like, you guys are the ones moving it. I mean, you know that, right? You know that you know this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it, but of course, anyone who you know maybe have an enterprising mindset or yeah, I mean, I guess if you know whatever. I, I like from what I understand, like whatever operations like the FARC ended up in, they're pretty small <clears throat> time compared to sort of the more industrial production. I mean, a lot of it was like, uh, you know, sort of the uh, the crop dusting, but you know that's punishing poor farmers, right? It's not, it's not doing anything to actually stop it. And I don't, 
even though if I mean it's like it doesn't get stopped. I don't know. People just I mean, yes, the whole drug war is stupid, but you know, the the real goal is to yes, empower Colombia as kind of the junior partner. The Israel of Latin America really is what they are. Right. Um and uh and so yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, that like it's pretty I don't want to say it's pretty clear, but I think a lot of signs point to that. Yeah, the people behind the decision to off Moise, it was definitely like an inside thing. It it certainly wasn't like anyone from the left. Uh, let's be right. clear about that. Yeah, yeah. I also want to mention, uh, this, this is an important piece of history because I, I mentioned Guantanamo. Um, the reason why, because uh, Peter, you mentioned the Monroe doctrine which is really crucial so i'm gonna i'm gonna like uh uh kind of zoom out and mention the spanish-american war and the Platt amendment because all that is very relevant particularly you know so for those of you who don't okay so for those those of you who don't know about the monroe doctrine basically that was a doctrine by um president uh james uh, monroe james james monroe basically the idea was um, essentially so it it was it began in in eighteen twenty three but it wasn't coined until eighteen fifty. This is yeah by President James Monroe. So this is at the time when um, uh, basically like when all all of the uh, Latin Amer- Spanish colonies in Latin America had achieved independence from the Spanish Empire. And basically, the Monroe Doctrine was like, okay, the whole Western Hemisphere um, is, like, on the U.S.'s shit, or, like, the U.S.'s backyard. And basically, the idea was that um, it opposed European colonialism in the Americas, so, which meant, like, Spain, Britain, France, but, like, the top dog in the Americas was, was, was like, the United States, basically, that essentially expanded the idea of manifest destiny to the entire western hemisphere so that's the end that monroe doctrine has like basically motivated uh u.s policy in latin america to this day like it's a 200 year old like doctrine so anyway so there's a monroe doctrine then there's a spanish-american war of 1898 so when spain lost its colonies in latin america it still held on to cuba Puerto Rico, both of which is in the Caribbean, Guam in the Pacific Islands, and then the Philippines, also in the Pacific Islands, but closer to Asia, right? So, uh, at, like, at 1898, like, Spain was, like, desperately holding on to its colonies because, like, the Spanish Empire used to be, you know, big shit for, but then, you know, the Bolivarian revolutions, like, <laughs> Spain was yeah. like, "What? We lost all this shit." Well, that's what that cool. was on the on the downswing because they didn't have the Protestant ethic comprising the spirit of capitalism. Basically, yeah, and they just the, wanted to lay around and you know fucking humanities majors, basically. Yeah. And and also like yeah, and also the the uh, the Spanish Empire was dealing with a lot of internal issues in yeah. Europe conflicts, and so like. They Spain the Spanish Empire always looked at its colonies as a source of as a place of just resource abstract uh, extraction, rather than a place where Europeans would settle in large numbers. And that's also what I what I want to mention. That's that's very crucial, especially when we're 
think talking about slavery and white supremacy in the Americas, um, because it's definitely going to relate to like Cuba as well. Um, North America, this is the only territory in the Americas, in the Western Hemisphere, where Europeans settled in large numbers beginning in the, in the 1600s. So it wasn't just the English, it was also French Huguenots, so French Protestants, um, uh, the Dutch, uh, a lot of Germans, and, and uh, Scots-Irish. So Europeans settled in what's now called the United States in large numbers very early on. Whereas in Latin, in, in the Spanish colonies in Latin America, that wasn't really the case. There were still white people in a white ruling elite, like the Peninsulares and the Criollos, if you understand Latin America's Costa system during the colonial period. So they're the ones like really ran shit, but they, they weren't the, the majority population for much of the colonial period. It was after the independence that like more Europeans started immigrating to parts of Latin America, especially Argentina. Uh, by the way, Argentina welcomed a lot of uh, former Nazis after World War II, by the way. Um, so, well, so did almost all of them. Yeah, so, but yeah, I want to, <laughs> Argentina was definitely like a yeah. big one. Yeah, because Ar- yeah, Argentina like is kind of seen as like the whitest of, uh, but they're all like, yeah, they're, the, Latin America still has white supremacy. But I wanted, I wanted to kind of, even though like the transatlantic slave trade impacted the entire Western Hemisphere, the way... Uh, slavery like manifests itself in a way colonization happened there are some slight variations that are i think worth appreciating so in the u.s context this is the one territory where europeans settled in large numbers so hence why we have like a rigid sort of black white binary binary when it comes to race whereas um in the spanish colonies there's a more mixed race population largely because of you know sexual violence um and so there so there's you know more Quote, unquote, but, but also because there wasn't a need to like except for in argentina uh like genocide every indigenous person right exactly yeah 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 exactly so uh i don't want to go do, too deep in the costa system but if you if you look that up that that should uh, i i I'll, that'll explain anything but it, everything but anyway so i'm gonna zero in on spanish-american war so yes yeah, so spain lost its colonies but then by 1898 again it held on to cuba and puerto rico in the Caribbean, Guam in the Pacific, Pacific, and then the Philippines in like the Asia Pacific, close to Southeast Asia. Those are the colonies that Spain, the Spanish Empire, still had left at the time. And so, the context of the Spanish-American War, there's a sinking of the USS Maine that the United States government blamed on Spain, which it was bullshit, very similar to the Iraq War, like w- WMDs yeah. type shit. Um, oh, go ahead, Peter. Oh, no, I mean, that that was, you know, Teddy Roosevelt basically came up on the Spanish-American War, and it was very much like, all right, well, you know, we finished, we made it to the Pacific, and now, you know, we got to keep going, we got to keep growing, you mm-hmm. know, this yep. is America, baby, and so the next logical uh, thing was, well, Spain, look, is weak as fuck, let's just run in there and take their shit, I mean, let's yep. uh, free them, let's liberate them, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was, and that was also the, uh, in the Spanish-America War, one of the um, justifications is that the U.S. was freeing the people of Cuba from the oppression of uh, of, of Spain. Um, there's this, like, kind of reaction, a lot of, like, reactionaries who are, like, more, more sympathetic with Spain will bring up the so-called Black Legend, 
and the black legend was basically it was basically like some uh like kind of propaganda to show like how bad the spanish empire was from like the anglo like u.s side like hey look like look how bad the spanish are like look how evil they are and so i've i've seen like some like reactionaries would be like actually racism is not that bad in latin america because the anglos you know the uh the black legend but basically like they all were shit like the spanish empire was brutal and racist as fuck um the british were the french were in a context of the transatlantic slave trade and colonization all these european powers were just brutal dog shit assholes um it's just like differences in, in brutality but um, anyway, so yeah, that was the justification for the Spanish-American War was that the U.S. government was freeing, intervening, intervening to free the people of Cuba. So you, the U.S. quickly just like you know uh, demolishes Spain. Like yeah, Spain. A, a splendid little war uh, is what they called it at the time, and it was yes a period of America feeling great about itself. Like damn, you know we rocked that shit. You Hell know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um, so anyway, so after Spanish-American War ended, there was the Platt Amendment, which was signed in 1901. Um, and actually, the Cuban Constitution contained word for word um, elements of the Platt Amendment, particularly seven uh, demands of the Platt Amendment. One of the demands in the Platt Amendment said, and I'm reading it, going to read it verbatim, that so it's principle so principle seven that to enable the united states to maintain the independence of cuba and to protect the people thereof as well as for its own defense the government of cuba will sell or lease to the united states lands necessary for coaling or naval stations at certain specified points to agree to be agreed upon with the president of the united states so literally right after the spanish-american war and cuban independence from spain um the Platt amendment was signed and the government of cuba at the time which is more pro-us put in its constitution that to maintain the independence of Cuba and to protect the people thereof, the government of Cuba will sell or lease to the United States lands necessary for coaling or naval stations as certain. So what is one of those certain still specified points? Guantanamo Bay. And so that was the birth of Guantanamo Bay, the U.S. naval station the uh, base at Guantanamo Bay. And actually, there is a 1934 treaty that basically said that um, the U.S. would keep its base at Guantanamo Bay, um, unless there's unless there's a mutual agreement to get rid of it, which is basically both sides have to agree to get rid of it, or that it's no longer going to be used. So that's why after the 1959 revolution, when Castro took power, the Castro government's like, "Hey, get 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 wanted to demand to get the U.S. base out of Guantanamo Bay," but legally, it couldn't happen because it had to be. A mutual agreement between both sides so it couldn't yeah. be like cuba wants it to get rid of it but the u.s doesn't so that's why wow. the u.s base at guantanamo bay still exists this day and that's why it became a perfect quote-unquote legal black hole for you know the torture chamber during the war on terror so i wanted to mention that because i think um especially when it comes to u.s cuba relations that the, the spanish-american war platt amendment is pretty fucking crucial and it also fits into just the context of 
yeah, U.S. foreign policy in Latin America, U.S. foreign policy in the Caribbean, um, Haiti, like it's yeah, um, Mondo yeah. Gosh and all that shit. Uh, yeah, I mean, I always the Platt Amendment was always one of those things that it's just like a little footnote in the history textbook, and like being, I guess, a nerd, I always like read it, but I didn't really understand it until a while later. But I mean, yeah, the main thing was basically like it enshrined the right for the U.S. to intervene in Cuba whenever it wanted to. Um, and, you know, I think that, like, when trying to understand, because there was just a lot of, like, just complete insanity in the way U.S. the U.S. approaches Cuba. Um, it just, like, you, there there's nothing... It is to the point where there isn't necessarily anything rational. Like, you have to like look really hard and almost kind of like reverse engineer like justifications as you know if you're like looking purely on a political economy basis for just the level of insane kind of rhetoric but i think part of it is that like the u.s like was so used to like cuba being right there next to it as its little plaything, its little island where it could you know go and relax and have some mojitos or whatever and the sense of just horror and betrayal from this entitlement to have that ripped away from you by these godless communists. I mean, that is really like why Cuba like holds this, why it gets people so horned up. Like it, it's because there was just this pure sense of entitlement to, to Cuba and, you know, it was ripped away from them and, you know, they've had to be stay mad about it for, you know, 60 fucking years. I mean, you would think that like, Probably after, like, the 150th time they tried to assassinate Castro, they're like, ah, it's not worth it. But no, they kept going, like, another 500 times. I mean, yeah. what is that about, right? And and actually, we can transition right yeah. into, like, yeah, the Cuba SOS. Yeah, as you said, Peter, we're probably at, like, the end of the news cycle for it. But, yeah, there have been these um, uh, pr- uh, protests uh, in Cuba. Um, I mean... Uh, yeah. they're framed as like anti-government protests and but then there's also like you know people say oh they're mad at um the pandemic uh um poverty because cuba you know uh you know it, things are still rough in in cuba and yes there is still um white supremacy in cuba just because of again like it's it's yeah. rich in the transatlantic slave trade so that S- 60 years of socialism unfortunately does not undo 350 years of slavery right exactly yeah um, and so um the there have been protests in like miami um in solidarity yeah. with sos cuba and the end goal of the sos cuba has like there's a there's some stuff that's like just things people have been saying that are uh kind of sus because some of the stuff kind of reeks of uh calls for u.s intervention although some are not calling for that but yeah let's go into that yeah well yeah i think maybe like back up to sort of have an account of what happened because i remember i think i like came back from the gym or whatever pull up google news and it's like protests explode across cuba and i was like oh Fuck this, but I also knew, like, okay, this is going to be some dumb shit. I mean, essentially, you know, Cuba, like, their medical system is something they're very proud of. Uh, It's a, you know, badge of honor for them. It's a source of great pride. And they had been doing pretty well 
uh, fighting the pandemic using the limited resources they had. But I mean, look, let's, it's not very it's not even conspiratorial to suggest that like something like COVID-19 has been weaponized in certain uh, indications, you know, which is to say that, like, I mean, eventually it be, it got worse. And, you know, they actually had been able to synthesize their own vaccine, but they weren't able to get the syringes to administer it. Um, you know, and this, I mean, that's emblematic for a bunch of things because, uh, you know, Obama had, uh, had, you know, engaged in a little bit of normalization, reopened the embassy, um, and, you mm-hmm. know, eased up some of the restrictions, but of course, Trump, you know, beholden to Miami and just the absolutely insane psychopathic politics that govern Miami, like was like, no, we're putting like the most restrictive shit. I mean, to so you know, part of it is like the the level of intellectual. There's like too much U.S. intellectual property and medical supplies. Then Cuba can't import it, and also like remittances were just basically slashed. So you know, any like Cuban who still has family back on the island in the U.S. who maybe doesn't want to see them starve out of pure spite, like they could on- they can't even send that much back. And uh, when they asked Biden about it, he said that he didn't want to revisit it because he wasn't sure that the Cuban government wouldn't confiscate it. So hmm. that's, uh, you know, like basically a Venmo um, because they actually do have the Internet on in Cuba. I mean, it's not great, but they do have the Internet. So when people say that they don't, it's not true. Like there are Cubans on Twitter, like in Cuba. You know? Yeah, there are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there were protests. So there, you know, dissatisfaction had swelled up, you know, and also, of course, Cuba, like it, it's an economy that relies heavily on tourism, which, of course, was extremely hardly hit by the pandemic. So mm-hmm. those compounding factors, you know, people, it, people were dissatisfied. And so, you know, people gather, you know, they express their frustrations, but I mean, the government did listen and, you know, sort of eased restrictions on, you know, the kinds of supplies that could be brought in. Uh, I mean, honestly, in a more democratic way than like America, you know, your average city or state government responds to protests. Um, But, you know, it really was only like a couple of days. But uh, like I said, America and American media and American politicians so horned up for just any any break, any crack in, you know, the defense of the Cuban revolution, they were immediately running like, no, we're going to do, let's do Bay of Pigs too. You know, bunch of fucking Gusano idiots. Like we're like literally gotten their boats and we're like, we're going to sail to Cuba. And then the coast guard was like, uh, you better turn around because the Cuban Navy will sink your ass. Wait, uh, what, wait, wait, there, people were literally like sailing to Cuba. Yeah. Like the beautiful <laughs> boaters of uh, Trump types, like they tried oh. to get a little like flotilla together, and then the Coast Guard was like, "No, they they intercepted them." I think they got like fifteen miles out. I mean, is that kind of, because when uh when the revolution happened, like the immediate you know sort of reactionaries that were uh you know exiled or dealt with, like they're the ones who first came to Miami, and you know those guys were like. Yeah, basically just extreme right wing nationalists, you know, and they were literally like doing terrorism through the 70s. Um, and so they have like this extremely right wing, uh, you know, idea that basically nothing other than blood 
is you know needed to restore the honor to Cuba or whatever. Um, and so that they're, they're the ones that kind of have a stranglehold on like Miami politics and every and since Florida is a swing state, you know, like Demo- obviously Republicans have no problem just appealing to their worst impulses. And, you know, all the dipshit Republican politicians were basically like, you know, yeah, if the I though. I think, honestly, like, 90% of the people that were like, we want to end to the dictatorship didn't even know the name of Diaz-Canal, because I think they would have used it. Or maybe it's just that, like, a dude with a hyphenated last name doesn't sound as threatening as an evil authoritarian dictator, like, I guess, Fidel Castro. Um, But, you know, they're like, you need to stand down now. But it's like, no, we're not going to... Nobody is interested in doing the Bay of Pigs too. I mean, we literally already tried it, got our asses handed to us. Or they tried it. Um, but, you know, it, it was a... Spe- but, you know, on the more liberal side of things, it was like people, you know, wanted a color revolution or whatever. Yeah, and this is what I want to get into. Cause yeah. This is, a, this is what... Um, like, I thought was uh, sus was people well the whole thing was sus it was yeah it was so stupid uh just the whole thing but but also like people weaponizing um black cuban voices and the rhetoric of anti-racism to like i heard um because okay so black lives matter put out a statement um regarding the the protests in cuba um hold on let me so yeah, they they put out a statement, um, uh, or is it is that because I read the one from Movement for Black Lives and I can't remember if they're specifically distinct entities, but yeah, I think it was Movement for specifically Movement for Black Lives. Um, yeah, they put out okay, so so basically it said yeah, so the Movement for Black Lives said that I'm gonna read from their statement that the boot. I'm trying to load it. But they basically said that they're in solidarity with the Cuban people. Okay, here we go. Um, oh, all right. I'll read the whole thing. Got it. Got it up right here. So they say, uh, they said, we are in solidarity with. Okay, so the movement for Black Lives is in solidarity with the Cuban people and the spirit of the Cuban Revolution. We are in solidarity with Black Cubans in particular, who throughout history have played a critical role in advancing liberation. In addition, we believe it is critical that we understand the protests that have rocked Cuba this week in historical context. Um, in 1959, the Cuban people ousted a dictator who was under the control of the United States. Since then, they have fought to build a new society free of U.S. domination. As a result, the U.S. has impo- imposed a, a, an embargo on Cuba for over 60 years, the longest in modern history. The embargo, which is essentially a financial blockade, has been a, an attempt to isolate Cuba internationally. For more than three decades now, the United States General Assembly has called for an end to the embargo. Furthermore, in the midst of the pandemic and economic crisis, the blockade has made it difficult and at times impossible to access medicine, supplies, and food, one of the single most sinister and debilitating policies that has harmed the Cuban people. The Cuban crisis has only added to the painful difficulties and challenges that the Cuban people face. If the Biden-Harris were if Biden-Harris administration were truly concerned about the Cuban people, there is one thing it can do that would alleviate suffering immediately. Lift the blockade. Instead, they are giving traction to the propaganda of racist conservatives like Florida's Rick DeSantis, who worked to criminalize protests and disenfranchise black voters. No government is perfect. Black Cubans have 
legitimate criticism about racism and how leaders have handled this current crisis. One thing we know for sure, uh, there is no record of U.S. meddling and or interventions making situations better. We also know... Um, Sorry, uh, we also know that for the last 50 years, right-wing and neoliberal forces in the U.S. have sought to opportunistically manipulate Cuban politics, looking for an opening to undermine their sovereignty and reestablish control. Fidel Castro stood with Malcolm X um, in Harlem and proclaimed solidarity with black liberation, and Cuba has historically been a strong and stalwart supporter of black struggles around the world, around the globe from Angola to Haiti. It is for all these reasons that movement for black lives is, is in solidarity with the people of cuba we know that the cuban people and black cubans in particular are not a monolith so we support the right of cubans to protest um and at the same time we know that it is our obligation those was based in the u.s to demand an end to the inhumane impunity blockade and condemn any hint of u.s intervention in the traditional black internationalism we support the self-determination of the cuban people and cuba's rights as a sovereign nation um, okay, so Black Lives Matter, so the official Black Lives Matter organization, um, had another statement, so I'll read from that. Um, theirs is similar to the movement for Black Lives, but, um, there's slight variation. So, Black Lives Matter condemns the U.S. federal government's inhumane treatment of Cubans and urges it to immediately lift the economic embargo. This cruel and inhumane policy instituted with the explicit intention of destabilizing the country and undermining Cubans' right to choose their own government is at the heart of Cuba's current crisis. Since 1962, the, US, the United States has forced pain and suffering on the people of Cuba by cutting off food, medicine, and supplies, costing the tiny island nation an estimated $130 billion. Without that money, it is harder for Cuba to acquire medical equipment needed to develop its own COVID-19 vaccines and equipment for food production. This comes in spite of the country's strong medical care and history of lending doctors and nurses to disasters around the world. The people of Cuba are being punished by the U.S. government because the country has maintained its commitment to sovereignty and self-determination. United States leaders have tried to crush its revolution for decades. Instead of international amity, respect, and goodwill, the U.S. government has only instigated suffering for the country's 11 million people, of which 4 million are black and brown. Cuba has historically demonstrated solidarity with oppressed peoples of African descent from protecting black revolutionaries like Assad Shakur through granting her asylum and supporting black liberation struggles in Angola, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau, and South Africa. Now we look to President Biden to end the embargo, something Barack Obama called for in 2016. This embargo is a blatant human rights violation, and it must come to an end. So both statements are basically calling for an end to the embargo, and I just want to say I agree with that 100%. Um, just like I said, I, I've, I've been to Guantanamo Bay. I, I couldn't get to the rest of the island because it was U.S. military base. But, you know, when you fly in, like, the logistics of getting into Cuba is difficult because of the embargo. And when we're talking about you know poverty in cuba and the things that the cuban people lack the embargo plays a major fucking role it is literally strangling strangling the country so when people talk about um supporting the people of cuba like basically if you're in the u.s i would argue your main responsibility is to focus on ending the embargo first and go from there um what I found really suspicious is that there are people who are saying, yeah, the embargo is bad, but that's not the only thing. And, 
people were downplaying yeah. the role of the embargo, and I'm like, okay, that's very fucking suspicious. Because no one's saying that like Cuba is a post racial paradise because it's it, you know it's not. But um, the the next question is like, okay, well, you know, what do we do? And wh- what's been go- what I've been seeing is like people weaponizing like the rhetoric of anti racism and uh, supporting supporting Black Cubans and saying listen to Black Cubans. Like, okay, yeah, we should listen, but like. I, I think some people were being a little bit disingenuous about what their intended end goal is, <laughs> because like, because I I literally saw some people saying, "Oh, we're both anti-capitalist and anti-communist." I'm like, "What? Like, how, like?" <laughs> they're so, they're they're feudalists. They're they're actually monarchists. Right, right. They're probably yeah. So it's like, okay, so you support monarchy or feudalism? Um, but a lot of the weaponization to me it sounded like people were using that rhetoric to you know push for um u.s intervention in in some form because like i want to bring i want to bring up the example of of libya you know in 2011 10 years ago the u.s nato intervention because people were saying let's listen to the libyan people like Gaddafi is about to uh you know commit a genocide and whether he's he was going to do a genocide is very much up in the air so uh yeah i i would (laughs) Right, yeah. So the U.S. NATO intervened mostly with air support. Um, you know, toppled Gaddafi, and he was killed, sodomized with a bayonet. Um, so he was he was overthrown. the The regime was overthrown in in Libya, and it was in the context of the Arab uprisings at the time, the Arab Spring. So the government was overthrown, and now look at Libya. Like it's now a failed state. And I remember watching a Vice documentary about Libya, and there they inter- they found a guy um, who protested against Gaddafi, and was part of like the people you know protesting Gaddafi, and he said that he wished Gaddafi was in power because at least there was some stability in the country rather than a total failed state. So what I would like to point out is like okay, if people say like okay the government of Cuba is really bad, okay yes. We can say, like, yeah, yeah, like, that's legitimate. Like, yeah, they're legitimate criticism of the Cuban government. But what's the alternative? So, because I feel like a lot of people, when they say that stuff, like, oh, the embargo's not an issue, it's the Cuban government. Like, okay, so what should we do? Like, intervene? Like, no, we don't intervene. So what's the what's the alternative? Uh, tweet, and, post. They just want you to post about it. And, right. yes, live it. listen to voices, uh, influencers, and artists, and... People with NGO grants, uh, you know, which there is a whole class of them. I mean, you know, the CIA right. tried to. Uh, there is some s- very bad anti-government. Song. I they really, I like I said, I don't know what it is about Cuba that like just makes the American Empire so fucking stupid that they just try. <laughs> like li- Republicans were literally like, we should send like internet weather balloons so that they can still access. They really thought like that was gonna do something. Um, it. You know, I here's what I'll say about this stuff, because I've thought about, you know, in my political evolution, having been sort of in Occupy, you know, as like a 22 year old, young, idealistic, you know, cares about politics and thinks like, you know, yeah, like we come together. This is a democratic movement, man. We come together. We're going to bring down the government. And it's like I often thought about, you know, what if Occupy had, you know, everyone 
put does postmortems on or whatever. But I often thought about, well, what ha- would have happened if we had one? And, you know, situations around the world, it's like, yeah, that's what it was. And, you know, that that kind of a situation, like people gather in a square thinking they're going to bring down the government. And then they're like, oh, shit, we did that. Um, but that what they didn't understand, you know, or I mean, especially if you're like young, if you're like under 25 or whatever, and like, I'm sorry, but like, you don't really understand a lot about politics at that age. I mean, <laughs> you're still learning. Like I, yeah, like I yeah. know. Yeah. Okay. Same here. I, I used uh, to be 20. I used to be 25. So yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and you, you know, so I get, especially for the youth, like, you know, you there you're think there are things you're dissatisfied with the system. You know, I mean, honestly, any government seems restrictive because it is. Um, and so, yeah, you want to you want more freedoms, um, but it doesn't. You know, and maybe you have like you know parents who are like strong government supporters, and you know you're kind of mad at them or whatever. But it doesn't. You have you really do have to think about like what is the next step and what is the actual dealings going on behind the scenes because like that stuff's it's photo op it's a tv you know commercial like for democracy for capitalist democracy like it's not like you have to understand the like mechanics behind it and they're just yeah there's no iteration like there are progressive you know social more socialist like elements of the party like there are inter-party debates you know, with, between people who want to see Cuba take like a more market-based approach, though, I mean, I think, and I've been thinking about this. You know, if out, absent the blockade, Cuba probably would go towards more of a Vietnam-type approach, where like, yeah, there's market engagement, but you know, you don't mm. let it overrun the country. You still maintain right. sovereignty and sort of steer, de- you know, use it to steer development in a positive direction. But uh, what's the whole point of the embargo is that. You know, the U.S. doesn't even want that. So they wouldn't even so they wouldn't even allow something like that Um, because, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know after a point why it is that way. But and also with the embargo, I want to mention this just as a logistical thing, like ending the embargo would make it a lot easier for, you know, black activists in the U.S. to work with directly with black activists in Cuba and understand like. You know the complexity, the on the on the ground complexity of Cuban politics. Like you know, if we're talking about things to do that are constructive, I think that is very constructive. The end the embargo and make it easier for you know, because like yeah, I do think like there should there should be even more bridge building between black activists in the United States and black activists in Cuba. But hey, when you have an embargo, uh, it's hard for those activists to. <laughs> you know, talk and coordinate with each other and, and build bridges of solidarity yeah. toward, co- toward common goals. So, like, that that's the thing that I, I just found, like, so, again, suspicious that, like, you know, people saying listen to black Cuban voices, but then, like, oh, like, the embargo is not, it's, like, an ancillary issue. Yeah, it's like, wow. well, how do you, like, if, if we're talking about supporting the people, like, how else do you directly support them with the fucking embargo in place? And that's not even just speaking about, like, trying to get you know, vaccines and supplies and, you know, th- things of that nature to, you know, to address, like, the direct material needs. Like, you know, if we're talking about actual support beyond just posting, uh, one way you could do support is have black activists in the United States work directly with and solidarity with black activists in Cuba 
and not to you know obviously not to uh, 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 take over what they're doing, but like that kind of bridge building, yeah, is a good idea, and you can't do that with the fucking embargo in place. And so that's why I just again like I, you know, when people were saying all that rhetoric, but then saying the basically treating the embargo as like and like an ancillary concern, I was like okay. Because again, I'm I'm talking about people specifically who are in the United States, specifically people who are in the United States. I I don't want to talk for or on behalf or over black people in Cuba at this very second. Like they, you know, I I can't because I don't I don't have like I mean uh, I mean if anybody in Cuba is listening to this, hell fucking yeah, you know, right. shout out to you, but, right? Uh, thank you, right? Yeah, I I I read it, I I echo that. Yeah, if you're listening to this in Cuba, like shout out to you, like so I, I can't like I can't speak directly for or on behalf of black people in Cuba just because of you know my position in the in the United States. So, but I do think like if for anybody, if you are in the United States. And especially for people who are like raised here their whole lives or born and raised here, um, like, and, and especially if you pay taxes to the U.S. government and your tax dollars go directly to the fucking U.S. war machine, um, and also including some of the, the you know, the trainings for those Colombian mercenaries who assassinated the Haitian president, by the way, um, you know, if you're paying taxes directly to the U.S. government for any person who's living in the, in the U.S., regardless of your race. Uh, your primary responsibility is to mitigate the damage of U.S. empire overseas. Period. That that's that's your primary ethical political responsibility. And like for people to be like, yeah, like, but but there's all this other stuff. It's like, well, no, like if if you again, if you live in the fucking United States and you're paying taxes to the U.S. government, your primary ethical responsibility is to mitigate the damage of U.S. empire globally period um my thing is like when it comes to whatever grievances that black cubans have in cuba like that that's on them i can't speak for them uh obviously yes you should listen duh you should listen. i mean that that's like a no fucking brainer but if we're talking about doing shit like you gotta do more shit than fucking listening um <laughs> yeah and an embargo should be the first fucking thing yeah and it would again make it so much easier for black activists in the u.s to work directly with black activists in cuba and and do actual like bridge building work in solidarity that to me is actually pretty fucking constructive uh a lot more constructive than some of the stuff i've been hearing again from people within the united states not people on the island of cuba but people within the united states who were raised here born and raised here and, and obviously who pay fucking taxes to the u.s government and like I said, if you live in the U.S. and you pay tax to the U.S. government, your primary responsibility for any international issue should be focusing on mitigating the damage of U.S. empire overseas. Point blank, period. End of story. Yeah, and honestly, sometimes I feel like embargo, it's it's one of those words that you kind of, your brain kind of tunes out. You're like, I don't really know what that is. Or, you know, it sounds like a... Uh, it, sound, it sounds like, you know, a technical term, whatever. Even blockade, like... It sounds like, oh, you know, this is like a game of risk or whatever. It's really more of a siege state. I mean, it's right. I, exactly. I don't want to be like too dramatic, but it is a little it's probably closer to like the way Israel treats Gaza in the sense that like, right. you know, they they it is. I mean, you know, Cuba, just the fact of its location, it's completely, you know, sort of next to and 
I mean, yeah, surrounded by the U.S. and the U.S. Navy. Um, and I mean, if you think about it like this, right, you know, it, say like the, you know, the stores that you go to buy stuff and, you know, maybe like you are, say you are a productive laborer. I know pretty rare in America, but, you know, a place <laughs> you would go to like sell things, you know, it's right next to your house. But then all of a sudden, like, you know, the government uh, decides they don't like you. You did something they don't like. So now you can't go, you can't buy anything from the store next to your house. Um, and you can't sell anything there. And, you know, so in order to get anything, I mean, you either have to grow it yourself, right? Get any food or you have to go like, you know, like, you know, three cities over. That's like, you know, and you have to do that every time. And, you know, they have to be willing to sell you this. And I mean, that's going to make your life a lot more difficult, isn't it? Like, right. You may, you may be able to survive and, you know, like you may make mistakes or whatever in your life or whatever, but your life's a lot more difficult for that very specific reason. It's like, right. Oh, well, why doesn't China help them out? Why is there, I mean, you know, the Soviet union did help them out, out of a sense of, uh, you know, social solidarity until the nineties, of course. I mean, but even then, like, it's like shit that got shipped halfway around the world. And I mean, Venezuela tried to help him out, uh, you know, under Chavez, like by se selling him cheap oil. But the U.S. is like, no, we can't have that, you know, and so put Venezuela under sanctions. So they couldn't really do that um, in the same way. I mean, you know, China these days, look, China's just not a very good friend to have internationally. I'm sorry. It's true. <laughs> um, you know, Russia, like they don't really care. Like, yeah, I mean. That's what that's what I think. Like the people are like, oh well, wh I don't understand. Why is this so bad? I mean, like people, like the people you're talking about are like halfway around the world. I mean, Brazil, come on, they're not going to do anything. I mean, they they have tried. You know, when the PT is in charge, they try to make overtures. But uh, you know, when I mean, obviously, un, you know, under obviously Bolsonaro dipshit, they're not going to do anything to help Cuba. Right, and so it's like. Yeah, they they constantly I mean, the fact that they're able to soldier on what it is a testament to is that the people have internalized, you know, the ideas of the revolution and made it their own like this, like revolutions become successful when the people adopt it and understand it and make it their own and they live it. They defend it, you know, under trying circumstances. And when that's why I find all the listen to black Cubans so funny, it's like, well, <laughs> Like they're going to support the revolution. That's stupid. Right. They understand. They understand. You know, it's not like oh, Castro liberated the blacks or whatever. Like they, you know, they are able to make it their own. And yeah, I mean, yeah, you go through the history of like you know they didn't they they weren't too keen on like separatism in the sixties and stuff. I mean, yes, there's there's things in Cuba's history you can look at and be like, huh. But overall, like. I don't know when you when I see like interviews and stuff, it's like they like it's very different than being black in America in the sense that like they're bought into the country like it it, it is really theirs. And like they right. know that's because of the revolution. They will fight to defend it. Uh, so that's why I'm like, well, if you're going to listen to black Cubans, they'll, they'll support the revolution. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, I don't know what you're saying in that sense. Yeah. And like, yeah, there's a lot of black Cubans who still support the and like. It, just like 
black politics and black voices in america are not monolithic it's just it's going to be the same with black voices yeah uh, yeah there are reactionaries in every group yeah like reactionaries and moderates and liberals like it's just the same way like you know like let's say i remember during black lives matter people like listen to black people listen to black well which ones are you listening to like i don't like there's some black people i feel like you know like why are you listening to them like they're not really you know their politics aren't that sharp they're not really you know fighting for the collective interests of the community um so yeah like in the same way that like black voices in the just in the united states period are are not monolithic and we there's a range of opinion it's going to be the same for black voices in cuba it's going to be the same for black voices in brazil or any country in the western hemisphere and like and also the african continent right so like you know you can't homogenize the collective political voice of black people in in any country you can point out certain things and like that point to like a set of uh uh, collective political interests you can pinpoint that and so what i would say is like i i don't like when people say listen to black cubans and i'm like okay well what what, what's the policy that's going to be that's going to benefit the collective interests of black people in cuba and i i i haven't really heard of that but Here's one thing I did hear of, uh, by Joe Biden just announced another round of sanctions and he's promising more. So so-called targeted sanctions in Cuba, whatever the fuck that means. Um, so basically like Joe Biden just announced, uh, a, a, another round of sanctions on top of the ones that Trump put in place to counteract the so-called Cuban thaw that Obama did to kind of thaw relations between Cuba and the U S Trump put more sanctions on Cuba to undo what Obama did. Uh, and by the way, Obama's thawing did, by the way, his, Obama's thawing did not uh, lead to a close of the, of the Guantanamo torture chamber. Like that was, that was pretty much off the table. But anyway, like, so yeah, Obama eased restrictions in terms of like, you know, traveling to Cuba. Uh, Trump put, you know, uh, reverse that and put more sanctions and now joe biden's putting more sanctions on top of what trump already did like biden's not reversing what trump did he's putting more another round of sanctions in cuba so, so i was like okay there's this sos cuba these protests and so now it leads to okay joe biden putting uh sanctions on cuba so how is that gonna benefit black people in cuba collectively you know and or, or like okay people say like the Cuban government, like, it sucks. Like, we hate the government. Okay, fine. So, what's the alternative? Like, you... Now there's a round of sanctions. Is is the next step intervention? How, and, and if so, if there's intervention, what's going to take the place of the current government to benefit black people in Cuba? And, that, and that's what I've learned. That, like, I, people are... I, I found people are falling short when it ask, comes to ask, answering those... T- crucial questions um and so that's why my position is that like if you live in the u.s you pay taxes to the u.s government your primary responsibility is to focus on ending the embargo and whatever the people of cuba want to do and black people in cuba want to do like you know that's on them uh you obviously work in solidarity but um you know that that's what that's what annoyed me is that like the the weaponization of uh of black voices and anti-racism to for like you know and again like yes i i just i think we should just people just got to do more than post yeah and and like more more than just like you know the listening stuff like okay so listen on like social media okay cool so what's the 
what's the you know the long-term goal like the, the the political thing that should be called for and i yeah that's what's yeah i mean i almost did find a little heartening because like oh the cia does still care about the left i mean you yeah. thought they would have banded us but they do care they they still have their left ops you know and yeah, shout out shout out to you guys who you know know what you're doing but you're gonna get your academic career in anyway um and let's uh, um yeah, yeah we're, we're yeah we're an hour three so maybe let's just round out with you know all the new dumb shit that's happening yeah uh, pandemic wise pandemic wise yeah so um this new delta variant which emerged in india um and is now like the dominant variant throughout the world um is spreading and it's making up the majority of cases in the united states um apparently i think i, I haven't I haven't. I think the last number I heard the death count in India is like somewhere in the millions. It's it's huge. Um, so this Delta variant. Well, the thing about COVID nineteen and, and this kind of virus and these kinds of viruses is that they mutate, right? Like that's what viruses do. They mutate and they become more resistant to like you know uh, immune systems, vaccines, stuff like that. So though, though to be clear, like getting vaccinated is the best way to fight it exactly yeah and so, so just just get that shit right out front good get <laughs> get vaccinated get, yeah because it'll it'll mitigate the ability of the virus to mutate to because yeah like the virus kind of feeds on people who are not vaccinated because our immune systems are not to the point where we, we can become like naturally resistant i.e herd immunity to COVID 19 we're not there yet it's not yeah. like the flu where our immune systems have like kind of built well, up enough strength. yeah i mean and even if you already got it it's still like like you're still going you're still in danger like that's not a thing to like well i already got it so i should be immune to it no, no. not this one uh like i get i i initially got like people's uh you know skepticism about this stuff but at this point it's like just fucking get vaccinated i'm sorry um yeah yeah so um so vaccinate so here's the thing actually i'll explain how vaccines actually works i think there's some confusion (laughs) vaccines like in terms of efficacy and how they work they don't necessarily protect you against infection what they do prevent the real metric you should focus on is if the vaccines are effective against hospitalization and death that's where vaccines are affected. That even if you are infected, the chances of you dying are very, very low. And, and that's what so far with all the vaccines that are available, particularly Pfizer and Moderna, even with the Delta variant, even though there's breakthrough cases, the chances of you being hospitalized or dying, especially dying of COVID, are very, very, very slim to none. And then when it comes to hospitalization, also rare. There's some people who are vaccinated who've been hospitalized but they're not the majority of cases over like somewhere like 90 percent to 99 percent of the cases of people who are being hospitalized right now are unvaccinated people who are catching this delta variant and it's 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 a lot more uh it's 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 more um transmissible so it's really hurting unvaccinated people the most and i've been hearing stories of like people who are unvaccinated who are like they didn't want to get the vaccine they didn't think it's a big deal then they catch it and they're literally in the hospital regretting their decision 
to not take the vaccine. And some have been telling the doctors, like, hey, can I get the vaccine? Can, can I get the vaccine? <laughs> and the doctors literally say it's too late, you know? And yeah. so, like, there are people hospitalized and dying of this Delta variant who are not vaccinated. So, again, vaccine is what they are effective in, is preventing hospitalizations and death. And on that metric, they're effective. So that's why you should get, it's important to get the vaccine. Plus, the more people who get vaccinated, the less likely this this virus is able to mutate. In terms of, like, it's basically, vaccines, like, basically, this this, this virus kind of, it feeds on, you know, people who don't have, like, good immune systems and, and, and are immunocompromised and not vaccinated. And so that's how it's able to mutate. So the more people who get vaccinated, the less likely the virus is is able to mutate to such an extent that they can penetrate the defenses of the vaccine. Now, the thing is that these viruses, they, they mutate naturally. So that's why, like, you know, with the flu shot, you get a flu shot like every year, just like, you know, to, to protect you against like the latest like flu variant. So like, I think with COVID-19, what, what seems like it's going to be the case is that we're probably going to have to keep getting vaccinated or booster shots like periodically, which here's the thing. I will take periodic uh, vaccinations or booster shots over getting fucking COVID-19. Okay. Yeah. I, would, I will take that any day of the fucking week over catching fucking COVID. So yeah. yes, please get, get vaccinated. That's how vaccines work. So again, the, in terms of measuring efficacy, the main thing you want to look at is how effective they are in preventing hospitalization and death and even with the delta variant even though there are breakthrough cases of, of vaccinated people getting infected they're not dying and they're not making up they're not making up the majority of people who are being hospitalized the vast majority like somewhere between like 90 percent to 99 percent of people hospitalized by this delta variant are people who are not vaccinated so um yeah it, it's it's I, I don't know what it is like people uh skepticism i mean i know obviously with black people like uh you know yeah i mean there are there are there are reasons um you know i i can understand for me just like what i went through that i was just like okay well i'm not fucking around with this you know the very day it was i you know I got on a wait list, you know, like the day it was available, you know, for adults under 60 or whatever. But I understand if you didn't, if, you know, you haven't had like a very traumatic experience with the pandemic, it might be something you're like, oh, I guess I should do that. Um, but, uh, you know, it just ends up on the list of things to do. And, you know, yeah, you got might have to take a couple of days off to recover from the second shot. Maybe you can't get it off work or, or you're just not prepared for that. And, you know, and it just gets keeps getting pushed down the line or whatever. I mean, you know, that's like the charitable thing. Obviously, there are then people who are just like they just ingested all the right wing media lies. And I mean, it, it does, does, you know, I try not to spend too much time like beating up on Fox News and, you know, all the crank shit to, you know, on on that spectrum. But I mean, they really do, like, have blood on their hands with this shit. I mean, along oh, with absolutely. the rest of the system. But it really is pretty disgusting at this point. I mean, even Fox News had to be like, come on, guys, get vaccinated. Um, but, you know, then, they'll, but like, all the right-wing influencers and, like, the shit, you know, to the right of Fox News, like, OANN. I mean, yeah, they're all making hay off this stuff. And it's really, it's just really disgusting. But the other, and I mean, I think we're at the point now where, like, 
all the libs are like, well, who cares if it kills off a bunch of Trump supporters? Uh, I'm sure I'm, I know that's what they're thinking. So they don't really care because like, well, you know, me and all my friends are vaccinated. So who cares about them? I mean, the truth is like, it's going to like hit black people hardest, like everything else does. And so, you know, they are telling on themselves, but I mean, Mm -hmm. they probably think that like black people, you know, who have different reasons for skepticism, but who are unvaccinated also deserve to die. Uh, you know, but the bigger point is like, it should, it shouldn't have gotten to this point. It shouldn't have gotten to this point because they shouldn't, they shouldn't have released all the restrictions until like we got to, you know, 70% or whatever the level was. They Mm -hmm. knew this. They all knew this. Biden knew this, but you know. It's, I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, it is a level, it is a, like, a level of negligence on the level of what Trump was doing. Like, they, like, they, this is exactly what they knew would happen, but, you know, everyone went out of their fucking summer, they didn't care, uh, I mean, not everyone, the fucking financial interests, you know, no one, they were not gonna stand for another lockdown, um, they want, you know, tour, tourism needed its money back, and all this stuff, and, uh, so they're just like, yeah, all right, well, you know, we'll just we'll just lift it. And then, you know, uh, I mean, we'll just go on the honor system, guys, or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah. Oh, wow. Cases are spiking again. Who could have thought you guys knew this was going to happen? Um, And so that's why, like, obviously get fucking vaccinated. But at the same time, it's not supposed to be up to, you know, like the average, you know, truck driver uh, with sunglasses in his profile picture. It's not supposed to be up to him. Like, it's not supposed to be up to the freedom-loving patriots or whatever. Like, this, like, that's not how this shit works. But, you know, I, I, Republicans too cowardly to piss off their base. And, you know, Democrats just mean, you know, willing to, like, hate, they hate life as much as anyone else. And so they don't care. Um, and just all of it around, like, you know, I think, I mean, I, like, mask mandates are probably going to get put back in pretty soon, you know, and uh, they may have to actually, you know, I, they're going to have to start s- stepping up some more like enforced measures, you know, because oh, yeah, it is the only, like the only way out of this is everyone getting vaccinated. Like, yeah. And, and, and but, to add to that, Oh, go ahead. I have something. To add oh, just, uh, you know, they, you know, how long is that going to take? I mean, like they're just going to have to do it, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the decision to lift all this stuff is pretty, you know, and yeah, let's all have millions of concerts. I mean, yeah, I bought concert tickets, but like in September, but like, I don't know what's going to happen at this point because who's to say, but they shouldn't have like, there's, there was no reason to do it at the time that it was done, uh, you know, from a public health perspective. Yeah. And also, um, like I think the way we did the vaccine rollout should have been mandatory. It, should, it shouldn't have been uh, a voluntary thing. Now, obviously, there's, like, shit with, you know, FDA approval, emergency. But, like, you know, given this is a pandemic, um, look, the polio vaccine was damn near mandatory. I mean, they basically what they did for the polio vaccine was, like, they mandated uh, public school, that they be done in public schools with children. Um I think that's something that could be done. I mean, even with... Uh, uh, it's not know. even approved for kids yet, which is the other disgusting thing. I'm sorry, but, like, yeah, let's release the Delta variant again. Like, I, like nobody's kids are vaccinated, so it's... Right. Like... So, like, here's a here's the thing. Like, I, I, I 
I teach at a, I work at a community college. When I got my job, I had to show proof of a negative t uh, tuberculosis test. So even just to teach, I had there was some sort of uh, equivalent to like a vaccine mandate. Like, okay, in order for you to teach, you have to prove that like you're negative for the, that. Basically, that I don't have uh, tuberculosis. Otherwise, you know, that's like you can't teach. So now we're at the point where like bars in San Francisco and pretty much throughout the Bay Area are actually mandating that basically proof of vaccination or uh, COVID-19, like a, a negative test. That basically have to show two things, either proof of your, proof of your vaccination or that you had a COVID-19 test and it was negative in order to enter the bar. Um, but if you don't have either of those, you have to stay outside and like, because I've noticed a lot of bars and restaurants now like have, uh, you know, sort of like outside sort of places to, to like sit and stuff like that and still like, you know, enjoy food and whatnot. But, you know, you still have to stay outside. Um, and so like that's that's where um, the Bay Area is at. I know that I know like. Um, uh, yeah, like two bars I know of, it, but one in San Francisco and one in Oakland uh, have mandated that. And now it's. That's that's oh, spreading. Man. Basically, yeah, it was the San Francisco's Bar Owners Alliance. They all collectively agreed that in order for people to enter bars, they have to show proof of vaccination or a negative. That, that little that little card's gonna get beat up. I mean, I think that's that's part of the problem. I'm not even entirely sure where mine is right now. Um, and like it's you know it's like yeah, people are just then gonna start. Shout out to anyone who ends up buying a fake vaccination card instead of getting vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, well, there's but, also, I think there's also an app to verify. An app? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, none of that's been rolled out and like they should have rolled all that shit out before lifting all the restrictions. Right. But, uh, exactly. you know, well, like this, like I said, uh, we know where the priorities are and they're you know, on profits, not on <laughs> lives. Uh, yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, it, it, on some level, I mean, initially I did have to overcome my like, okay, well, who cares at this point it's these people's choice, but it's like, no, that's idiotic neoliberal thinking. And like, yeah, the idea like, oh, well they chose to do this to themselves. It's like, no, we're not supposed to let people do this to themselves. It's right. The point of having a government, a society, a public health, I mean, whatever right. you could call like a public health infrastructure, that's the point of it. So you can't, the idea like, oh, well, just let the libertarian chuds, you know, die if they want to. Like, no, because they're fucking everybody else up too. So right. I, I, I basically what this virus is, what this pandemic is showing is that uh, your health is only as good as the person next to you and the people you live with and, and the communities, community that you live in. Like, this is a, that, that, that's what people are losing fucking sight of this community. You know, like, I think what, what really showed, what this pandemic really showed is America's primary value is hyper individualism. And like the vaccine has become like an individual political expression and consumer choice when, no, this is a public health issue. It's a collective effort. Get the fucking vaccine because you're not just protecting yourself, but you're protecting other people around you. I mean, yes, like vaccinated people can still like carry the virus, but the more people who get vaccinated, the better. Yeah. Because the less likely the the virus is able to mutate to the fucking point where it becomes resistant <laughs> to the current vaccine. 
So yes, that's the thing. We need a fucking community. But you know, um, America doesn't value community because you know, oh, if you believe in community, that means you're a communist and you must hate America. That's what it's really showing. America's main value system is hyper individualism and consumer choice. That's your primary freedom in America is to be hyper individualistic and to be a fucking consumer, not a not a free human being to manifest to to live up to your own humanity or and to be in community with other people like no we don't believe in that freedom american freedom is a freedom to be hyper individualistic and to be an individual fucking consumer even when it means consuming your own fucking death that's what this pandemic has shown that like oh you have a freedom to die well like you said, Peter, like, what? it shouldn't be, it should, we should have that fucking choice. Like, what the fuck? Oh. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't have much else to say about it. I, at this point, um, I mean, like, you, you know, it's, other than, yeah, this is, they were, we're always going about this the worst way we can, and I'm sorry, but I don't think it's really, I don't, I don't think that, like, there's, Biden's response has been categorically better than Trump's at this point. Um, I, I I agree with that. Yeah, so, actually, yeah, we should just end on that note. Yeah, Biden's response has not been um, categorically better than Trump's. I don't know. Maybe maybe an uplifting note to end on. Um, I don't know what uh, positive things have been happening, but uh, um, well, some positive. I I I um uh went to i mean speaking of concerts i went to a live performance it wasn't like a full-on concert it was like a small live performance um people had masks and a lot of people were vaccinated and it was my first time playing djembe african drumming live since the beginning of the pandemic and it felt really good just to you know get out of house and you know be live with people and uh yeah, that's something positive. Um, and it just sucks that, like, you know, yeah, I do miss that stuff. It's I miss being in that kind of community with people. But, um, you know, uh, <laughs> the way this Delta variant is spreading, it's, uh, you know, there's some certain restrictions. But I will say, like, you know, what I've been noticing, even, like, the, um, like, art communities that, that I'm plugged into when it comes to their shows, like, people have been very respectful with uh you know protocols and stuff like that uh masking and vaccinate getting vaccinated you know doing stuff outside and even at the 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 place that i went to um it was indoors but the the door was kept open and there was a fan to kind of so that was that was good so um yeah i want to mention that on a positive note i, I played djembe live for the first time since the pandemic started um and damn near like I think since the fucking start of this podcast, now that I'm thinking about it, um, holy shit! No, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, like, yeah, since like, uh, I would say our since our very like early, early ass episodes, um, so it was just it, yeah, it was nice to play African drumming live in front of like a live audience. Obviously, again, with you know safety protocols in hand, and, and it seems like, um. There are some like open mics and live music opening up, and uh, but it's kind of s- slowly but surely, um, you know, like people are being very mindful of, uh, you know, the organizer being very mindful of uh, safety protocols and stuff like that. So that's also good to hear. Just like people are being, 
you know, <laughs> since the government has totally fucked things up, at least like there are still communities that are being very mindful of that stuff and trying to keep people sa- keep people safe. Uh, so yeah, that's 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 my positive. Yeah. Um, I guess I don't know. Um, you know, since I you know finally got fully vaccinated, I've like been going to the gym pretty regularly. Mostly because they say it's supposed to make you less depressed. And, uh, I mean, I certainly can be miserable while I'm there, uh, you know, because it's hard, whatever. But, I mean, it definitely makes me, definitely been feeling better. And at the very least, I'm back to the state I was before I stopped working, um, when I really did nothing for five months. Uh, and so, you know, I'm trying, you know, I'm feeling better, um. It's nice. good to have something that you're like, I guess, really, for me, it's like by returning to it, like, you know, the bad voices are like, oh, like, you know, that like they thrive on you not committing to something and not being consistent. Like, oh, well, you, you know, you can't mm. do you. You're going to fuck this up like you fuck everything up. And it's like, no, by continually going, you're telling them, no, you're wrong. And so, mm. uh, you know, I mean. If nothing else, like that has been a positive influence on in my life. So that's good. Uh, also, I get to like listen to like all these old '90s albums, um, you know. So moving through a lot of stuff. Uh, so yeah, I guess maybe then sign out. Um, totally. All right then. Uh, yeah, that's it for this episode. Um, again, to support this podcast and independent Black media. Uh, become a patron for five dollars a month patreon.com slash real car hours again patreon.com slash real car hours five dollars a month gets you bonus episodes anywhere between one to four dollars a month um you know won't get you bonus episodes but it's 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 a great uh if you if you want to hear our take on the sopranos uh sign up yeah definitely yeah if you want to <laughs> we we had a yeah we had a um yeah we had a really good episode on the sopranos so um yeah, if you want to listen to that, you should pay $5 a month. Um, and also, if you want to make like a one-time donation, paypal.me slash hours. Again, paypal.me slash hours. So those are great ways to, uh, if you like this episode, uh, to support our podcast and keep keep this podcast afloat. So anyway, I'm going to sign out. Keep the faith. And stay dangerous and Peace. vaccinated. Yes. Stay dangerous and vaccinated, absolutely. Take care, everybody. See ya.